0: Untitled Film Project Podcast, Top Gun Maverick is finally in theaters after waiting 36 years to have the ultimate 80s movie uh, be brought back to life. What was your quick take on Top Gun Maverick? It was entertaining. I'm glad
1: I went and saw it in the theater. I think it's the only place you can see a movie of that scope. But I was not overly impressed. I knew it. There is a reason this film is
2: going to make a beep ton of money. <laughs> I just <laughs> went and censored myself before you go over. I appreciate that. <laughs> There's a reason it's going to make a lot of money, and that's because it is a blockbuster film. That is meant to be seen on a big screen. And not just a regular big screen where you go into your your small theater and you see it on a movie screen. No, this is meant to be seen in IMAX, in Dolby, in 40X, in ScreenX. Big screen because it was filmed in IMAX. This is something you're supposed to sit back, immerse yourself in because they spent the time and the money to make sure they're doing it properly and right. I appreciate this film as, as an action film. I think that they took it seriously enough as a sequel to give... Fan service, but not overall too much fan service to actually take the storyline seriously enough. So I I appreciate it as an action film. I think it's going to be the biggest movie of the summer, even over Thor, because of the mass appeal. What? Because of the mass appeal that this has to people. We will be checking checking the box office at the end of the I'm racking that clip and we're going to revisit this. Because of of the mass appeal, think about the number of people (laughs) that are watching this that maybe go to the movies once or twice a year. That's what this type of film is going to attract. Thor okay. is going to get people that are going to movies, Marvel fans, things like that. That's why I say that. I'm not trying to make a hot take. I just feel like that because this is so much hype waiting for two years for this to come out. There's a reason why it's a blockbuster. I love the film. I thought it was a lot of fun. You have to see it in a big, large format. We're going to go into way more detail. But I thought overall it was very well done, and I appreciate that, that they took it seriously enough to give us a, a good, fun popcorn movie that's an action flick.
0: This is Jim. I had a great time at the movie. Uh, I had all the feels of planes flying past me. And, you know, I could feel it. I could see it. I was immersed in it. Uh, As far as fan service, if you did see the original, you have a soft spot in your heart for all the things that are in the original Top Gun. This movie scratches every one of those itches. At the same time, it's kind of a dumb movie. Because it's perfectly following a pretty dumb movie from the '80s, Uh, so I will say no argument here. A line from the film that (laughs) is used several times because they are trying for catchphrases so hard in this movie. The catchphrase is "Don't think, just do." It's said by Maverick. It's told to Maverick. It's like, and, and this is what I say to the moviegoer: "Don't think, just do." Yeah, that's what it's meant to be as an
2: as an action movie. How many action movies make want to make you think? Most of them are supposed to be you eat your popcorn, you're enjoying, you're like, "Oh, this is so awesome. You're immersing yourself, you're in a film, you're escaping." That's what Top Gun's supposed to be, but I think they went a little above and beyond because they took the extra measures of actually filming in F-18s, actually putting IMAX cameras in those jets, actually making the actors train so they're using them in the jets and not using green screens all the time or using CGI. I think that's what I appreciate as an action movie, which is a dumb movie. Yeah, this is not something to make you think or to digest (laughs) or to have deep thoughts about, well, Maverick did this and he did this and what does this mean about him as a character? No, no, this is an action movie that is a lot of fun. To be had, and I think it also has rewatchability for so many different aspects of it that I know we're going to get into. But that's why I liked it, because they took that extra step to make a
0: good action movie. Jeremy K. Gover, one of the cynics in this this room, Uh, let's get your, I guess, uh, find its flaws. Tell us about them. So the first one is, there's a helmet
1: law in California. And oh. Tom Cruise is out there He's on his maverick. motorcycle. He's a maverick. I don't care.
0: It's still a law. Lo- oh, is he above the law, Bradford? Yes. Have you not learned anything about this character in two okay. movies? Okay.
1: I mean, there, so- there,
0: there are literal like scene after scene in each movie in which somebody of an authority figure yells at him for being a maverick. <laughs> Gee, it's funny I'm, how wow. he got that name. In '86, when the first
1: movie, the original movie came out, there was no helmet law in California. I know because I lived there. But then eventually, there is now a helmet law, and. He's out there riding around, no problem, without a helmet down the streets and the interstates and all kinds of
0: stuff. Setting a bad example for the kids. Yes, bad, bad bad <laughs> problem.
1: Uh, <laughs> the movie was highly predictable, in my opinion. Yes. I didn't care for the predictability of it, like, so, not even just like, the scenes, but to the dialogue. There was a joke that the kid told when Maverick walks into the, the diner, I guess it is, Maverick's line is, where am I? Cause he just crashes, where he's at, and and I said in my head, I was like, this kid's gonna say Earth, and the kid goes Earth, and then the <laughs> I was like, Give how me the audience a break. react? How the audience? There was react. a smattering of laughter. Yeah. There was a lot of laughter in our theater. Okay, it was. so it, it to that point where the it was it was predictable. It was pre- all these different elements were predictable, and I just overall had a I just had a problem with a lot of the film and how it was made in the regard that okay, I, I could okay. see these things coming. 20 frames away or 20 minutes away. So you weren't able to allow yourself to escape, is what you're saying? Not completely. Did you? What kind of There expi- were, there were, there were, there were, there were seen, of course, there were parts of the, like big 10 to 15 minute chunks. Absolutely. I was in the plane with them. Okay. But then there were other times where they'd say something and there was something that happened. i be like, okay. Now
2: before like, going in, how long had it been since you saw the first one and. What were your expectations going? Because I think that's what's going to determine a little bit, too, for some people. That's fair. Is expectations going into this film okay, as well. Okay,
1: well, well, the answer to your first of all, that is a fair assessment. I had not seen the original since probably 1990, 89, 90. It had been forever. Because I've long lived by this opinion that the original one is a 90-minute soundtrack. That's all it is. <laughs> for sure. So in that regard, I was not expecting a lot walking into the theater. And I actually got more than I expected. I got, I got oh, better wow. than I expected, but I still am like, yeah, I, I mean, I'll watch it maybe if it's on TV in the background, but I'm not going to so, go see it again.
2: So you didn't get any, and the last reason I asked, because you didn't get any sort of feelings of, okay, this is going to be awesome, just from the opening sequence when they're on the ship and the, muse, the, the theme, the Top Gun theme's playing, and then when it jumps into Danger Zone for just a very quick moment, did that give you anything at all? Yeah, it gave me, okay, this is going to
1: be a predictable movie.
0: I could have I written that myself. There were no feels. Were I, I could have yeah. written
2: that myself. Like,
1: okay, this is going to be in it, this is going to be in it, this is going to be in it, and guess what? They were all and in
2: that, it. That, I only ask, because I'm not trying to burn you, I think we're establishing the expectations going in, right. because I think there's a whole huge chunk of audience that they see that and they're like, this is going to be good. Like,
1: that's right. because they want and,
2: that little bit of scratch of fans, And that's not right, and that's the yeah.
1: Hollywood uh, formula. Right, that they've mastered so well and done so many well. To- so the other side of that coin, as far as the danger zone goes, right? is, Okay, again, I knew hey, that's gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. Right. I was happy. See, there's good things. I was happy <laughs> that they got danger zone out of the way. Yes, they it's had. In to. the opening scene, it's like, okay, kick it to the curb. Yep. Like we we've addressed Been that. There, now that. we're moving Scratched on. It, that was move great. On to the next there was another exactly. thing I really liked too. Actually, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I barely picked up on it, but uh, I'm watching too much Screen Crush, so I was in my head. In the bar when they go and hit the jukebox. The number on the jukebox that he hit to play Slow Ride was 86, which is the original year that the movie was released. I thought that nice was really little neat. little Easter egg. Mm-hmm. Yep, I yep, that was really cool. And uh, the font of the opening credits was the same as the original as well. Not just the s- slate- where it says like what sure. the you know what the the right. what Top Gun is and all that, not just that, that was the same too, but not just that, but the actual font of the credits, like the director and the, and the cast and all that, that was in the exact same as the eighty six movie too. I thought that was really neat. That, those are subtle nods like that that you can do. the okay. jukebox, the credit yep. fonts, like all that, those are cool things. But when you start take my breath away and danger's it's like alright go saw this a mile away
0: so alright well here's where I'm a little conflicted I you know I see Jerry Bruckheimer who is a symbol of yes. 80s and 90s and, and 90s mm-hmm. but and pirates yeah <laughs> But but he he really, (laughs) I mean, like, he makes a certain kind of movie. Yes. Okay? And it kind of belonged in the 80s, the original. It was a perfect example of a little cheesy 80s, right? Give me some hot people posing in front of either a motorcycle or a jet. And give me a little tension, a little bit of emotional eh, between two guys that are shirtless playing volleyball. And everybody's happy, right? So I thought... Are they going to make a grittier, tougher, reinvented type of movie? They did not. They actually stayed in the type of filmmaking that they made in the 80s. And for me, it's one of the reasons I didn't like the original one in the 80s. But I realized that's exactly what everybody wanted. They wanted to hit those notes again for one more time on the big screen. So, while you know, I noticed that, you know, yes, this is a horrible way to make a movie. <laughs> they made the movie people wanted to see
2: that, that's exactly what they needed to do, too, I think, just to get because people have been clamoring for a sequel for so long. and then you have to wait. After the, the, when it was teased and the first trailer we got had pandemic hit, so many things got delayed. We've been waiting for this for a very long time. We two and, probably, and a half years at least. Yeah, two ooh, and a half years. So I want to hit on some of the things and just stop me if something comes up to you that you want to discuss. Okay. So it was highly predictable. You've already established. Oh, I'm sorry. That, sir. Sorry. But here, here's one thing that I think is going to help it have a little staying power as a blockbuster just for rewatchability. And that I appreciate is they kept the enemy broad and they didn't name the enemy how many times do you have in an action movie where they name the enemy of the Russians or the Chinese or the Saudis or the Afghans or the Pakistanis or whatever like that. And all of a sudden you're singling out an entire audience or you hope to market this film as well sure. too. And so that was one thing that I think they did right. And I think maybe some audiences will pick up on some may not, but when you just say the enemy, the enemy, the enemy has oh, fifth okay.
0: generation fighters, has this this and this. I definitely I definitely picked up oh, on yeah. that. It stood out to me. And actually while I respect the marketing reasons for doing that, but uh, to have, you know, just a miscellaneous uh, general like John Hamm or somebody say we have a rogue state, which we will not name, that has these <laughs> super bad weapons that are really terrible, and we're going to go in and get them. I thought it was so generic; it looked like a cutscene from a flight sim game on the PS so they should have named at least, even if it's not a search for the country, but named they the enemy. They could have named it. They
1: could have created a, a, a faction name, like what Mission Impossible has done. Yes, sure. They could have done that, and like then you are like, Nation okay, kind of you at least right. have something to gravitate onto. Because to, I think to Jimmy's point is that I actually was the opposite of you. Justin I thought the entire movie I actually spent mental energy who are they talking about who is the oh. enemy I didn't know and so I spent mental time instead of watching the film I actually went the opposite way which was well now I'm trying to figure out who they are who is this enemy okay and so I didn't even that's pick fair. up on the marketing thing which actually I don't respect because I think that that's a little <laughs> bit of a cop-out but I do money 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 I know I know, I know but that's does not, make all, it good, good right? Right. not yeah. all good decisions right not all well, good decisions
2: or maybe I that think when we were coming out of the screening <laughs> I don't know if it was you, Jim. Let's or, be very, oh, or for radio.
1: Let's be very clear. I was not at the screening. These okay. two were at the screen. Yeah. Uh,
2: Jim was there with, with our friend Oz yeah. as well, and was I forgot if it was you or Oz that said it could be Canada because
1: it's mountainous <laughs> and, and and wintry. I almost <laughs> wish I, My wife did Canada say it looked I like Alaska. Things, she did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it looks like Alaska. And I was like, we would not be tagging each other. So
2: while they could have done a better job at being broad, I sure. do like that because twenty years down the road, I mean, we know the first one it was the Cold War. Sure, so it was Migs. I mean, That's how it was branded. Okay, see, right? but,
1: but all right. So I went back and watched the original. Too. Was it not? No, no. Oh, okay. No, sorry. But I'm saying, like, I went back and watched the original because I, I remember I asked my wife because she watched it yesterday. Okay. Yeah. The original because she wanted to get ready for the film. So I said, okay, well, who was the enemy? We were, we were at peace. Not Cold War, I, I understand that. But right. I'm saying, like, we were at peace. Like, there wasn't an active sure. military skirmish right, somewhere. Right. So, you know, because it was in 92, you'd be like, oh, it was Iraq. Like, you would just automatically right. assume, you know. So I was like, well, who, who was the enemy? And she goes, I don't remember. Hmm. I was like, okay, now this is the original now. Right. So then, I, so then we go to the to Maverick, and again, they're very nondescript about who it is. And again, yeah. I, maybe it's because of that earlier conversation. I don't know, but either way, I was left in the theater in like let's say lulls, like little like kind of emotional lulls, like there's dialogue at the bar or something like that. You know, I found myself like, well, who could, who is it? Who could it be? What country could it be? What? And that took me away from.
0: So you're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Okay. I, I think I know who that is. I I know who the enemy is. And this is the take that is going to destroy this movie for everyone listening to this podcast. Here we go. The enemy in this movie is the Empire. The last third of this film is Star Wars A New Hope, almost scene for scene. Okay, we have to go through this canyon and fly. I'm, and I'm, we with, have you. I'm with you for this, Jim. Threats. Keep going, buddy. Okay, oh, and we are. Oh, it's going to be so dangerous in this canyon. But then, oh, you know what? We're going to explain the mission by showing you a graphic overlay on the screen that is almost exactly what Admiral <laughs> Akbar would have laid out. You get. Yeah, it's a trap. You know, he's like, and then you're going to have to come in low, and you're going to have to hit a three by three meter square, and then hope to get away. And the entire third act of the movie is the battle for destroying the Death Star. It's a
1: snowy Star Wars. Oh, dear God. That would be The Force Awakens. (laughs) Let's leave that for another show. (laughs)
2: Another thing that I thought this is what I liked, and God, I, I hope both of you are on board with this. It's just it's okay. No, it's, yeah. it's a safe space. Representation in the cockpit. Yeah,
1: there was enough of it.
0: Uh,
2: it well, not a lot. Well, no, because it's it's more representative of what it's really like now. I think yes. because well oh, one, for sure a woman being in the cockpit. Yeah. with Phoenix. Yes, and then sure. also people of color. I just think that was important that they do that because you. It didn't exist back in the eighties? Oh, there right. was well okay.
1: So, so let me, me break in right there. So in the original film, remember I just watched it again, right? Right. In the original film, Val Kilmer's character makes a joke about how the uh the the the, the loser's plaque is in the ladies' room downstairs. That scene is definitely sexist. I thought they did the representation very respectfully also. Yeah. There was it was never forced. like a romance between two of the kids. Nope. Like no, ne- It was just very benign. Yeah. And it's, and it's more of what it should be like. I don't think there was enough.
2: And though. there was a camaraderie, though, between Phoenix and others as well, too, because yeah. they'd all gone through the class together. For sure. Gun and everything. For you sure. saw that there wasn't they weren't trying to force it like you had a love story yeah. or a relationship on the side. Right. So it would have just taken away from sure. the whole part of that.
1: I applaud that point. Yeah. But I would just say that if, if, if it was me writing it, I would have
2: given a little bit more. Okay. Okay, another thing. Jim,
0: I'll start with you first. Okay. Jennifer Connolly. Thoughts. Uh she looks tremendous. She looks better now than she did when I first started seeing her in movies. I, I like don't a beautiful know mind. If yeah, whatever <laughs> whatever it is that she and Tom Cruise are drinking, somebody should sell that because uh she looked phenomenal. She did a great job with what she had. I mean, her part as like Uh, a somewhat love interest, they have a history uh, that she and Maverick have been together, was, I mean... It's, it's it's so shallowly written. But
2: the, but the history was in the first film. Yes. It was mentioned in the first it, film.
0: Yeah, that's, that was what I was
1: going to say. They, uh, I knew you'd have... They didn't ask Kelly McGillis back, which yeah. is more than fine with me. Yep. I don't know if they you know. Uh Kelly, if you're listening, uh, they could She's have, not right? listening. Go go uh, on. <laughs> they, uh, they did a great job having the Meg Ryan throwaway side story, which is how her name came up. Penny Benjamin came up as a Meg Ryan throwaway story. Meg Ooh. Ryan's character... In an offhanded comment mm-hmm. to, I think it was Kelly McGillis' character actually, said uh, something like- the Admiral's uh, daughter, you know, right? Yeah, yeah Admiral's daughter, Penny Benjamin. They took okay. this one line in a movie 36 years old <laughs> and said, we're not going to ask this original actress back. Let's go with this route over here. And they went with- I And mean, there's a history. Yeah. There's a history of just like
2: him breaking her heart. And they kind of made that trope continue sure. on. You know, just don't break her heart again. Yeah. And the daughter, things like Excellent. that. If anything, Jennifer, Jennifer Connelly, for me- she would steal a scene when she was in it because she had such a honestly, small screen time. Overall, pretty small screen time. Yeah, small screen time. But obviously gorgeous, delivers the lines well, acts as a different in a different way than Kelly McGillis' character was. Because she played more strong and yes. was not going to just give in, was going to make you know, Maverick work for it as well, too. Also had the time in the sailboat where she's showing him the ropes. I did enjoy the joke.
0: About him being in the Navy and not being (laughs) well-versed in the water. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That was my problem with that whole scene. Really? (laughs) It seemed to be a totally unnecessary scene. It was almost like they were like, look, we got this really great joke. Everyone thinks the (laughs) Navy is about the water, but these are are pilots in the Navy, so let's get them on water so we can deliver this one joke.
2: But, But I think the sailing scene also shows, too, that she is a strong, independent woman. As well, we could taking. I have her no problem with Stanley that, but I, my
1: point is just you know, the joke in general. No, I, no, no. I'm saying that I think you can show that in a different way. She runs the damn bar. Well, yeah, she owns she the bar. It, yeah. you, don't, you don't. I mean. You need to be stronger a at a, at a water sport just, too. But it's more than just being a bar owner too. It's like she. Of course it is. I'm just saying that they could have shown it in different ways. I she could have been okay. repairing the jukebox with a screwdriver. Well, she could have been doing all kinds <laughs> of different stuff. Why do they have to bring her out into
0: the water? It's almost like it was for that one joke.
1: And that's ridiculous.
0: And I'll, and I'll say it wasn't for the joke. They needed a new place to show a sunset scene where they could <laughs> pose because there's so much posing in this movie in front of there beautiful so much things. Posing. That was like an Instagram moment,
1: which is another point that I want to get to eventually oh, too. The so cheese factor. Also, I want to say
2: it's going to be cheesy. What do you expect? <laughs> what I did appreciate I too is when better. they were going when she left the door open and is obviously going into where they're going to get it on where there's going to be a sex scene. They didn't force a sex scene just for the sake of having a sex right. scene. In the that main. was
1: nice. That was and wonderful.
2: and I like they, they they could show enough to show that they made it took it to the next level of being together without having to go deep down in to them undressing and everything they're just showing that they're making love and they moved on because it was not an important part of the story for the relationship they just move on to them talking after the fact and actually connecting as characters together I, so I, I just want to say I appreciated you, that yeah some movies just throw it in because they feel like they have to throw it in because the first one Fratuitous. it's a long It's a, it takes up some screen time
1: yeah. right uh, filler. One, you
2: didn't need it the it movie's an hour and a half if yeah. they
1: don't have it it's like an hour 15 it the <laughs> along, and they move the story along
2: and they move the story along and then it's a TV show because yeah. they're talking about the relationship. More. The yeah. relationship is more important than having a sex scene.
0: And uh, one of the, the big themes of the film is age. All the young guns are telling Maverick, you're too old. Your time has come and gone. All the generals are saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so you've got these two characters that are now like beyond, you know, the just adulthood uh, in the first movie. And you're showing what a slightly more mature and what eventually becomes funny scene about the two of them getting together. I don't want to blow it for everybody, but... uh, If they're listening, they know. She's, she's, you know, she's got a teenage daughter. So you have a completely different dynamic than Tom Cruise, Top Gun, hot 20-year-old. Yeah,
1: absolutely do. The teenage daughter... Thing by the way, where the daughter comes home and he's coming out of the window and he falls because specifically so that they don't run into each other and it's just, it's made this big point and then of course they run into each predictable other. Predictable for you wasn't? It? Yes, it was, <laughs> but it's still funny. <laughs> but it's still funny. I mean, but it's predict. No, it's not. I mean, so it, movies it's... can't be predictable at all. For okay, there you was you a chuckle, it. I suppose, but it was <laughs> predictable. If I can predict it five seconds before are it happens, there so many
2: movies that are predictable and they're still funny. And they still pull things off.
1: It's how they pull it off.
2: I just how? think you didn't want to appreciate it. Okay, appreciate yeah, I went the into comedy.
1: Top Gun thinking, I'm going to hate this movie.
2: I What did I say? No. Jim, <laughs> what did I say after this? I think I think Gover's not going to like this film. But did I not say that?
1: But that doesn't mean I went
0: into the theater saying I'm going like to not it. You didn't
1: have to. I already called it. Okay. <laughs> I
0: just kind of feel So, just so everybody knows, uh, it was Jeremy Gover that said the movie was too predictable. It was Justin Bradford who said that Jeremy Gover was too predictable. <laughs>
2: Okay, that's, I do a great, that's a good recap. I do want to throw this out because it's one of those things that obviously is getting talked about. It's important to just prefer the film. Val Kilmer being used in the film, yeah. and how that yes. was approached on the screen. Going to Jeremy first, just what was your what was your thought
0: on this and him being used and having that that role in the film? Can um, can we mention where he is in real life? Yes, yeah. The actor Val Kilmer, I think, is is noted. Uh, it one of the reasons we have to say this first is. You know, he has been battling cancer, and he has lost his voice. So, you know, you're wondering, is he going to be in this film? Does he want to be in this film? Can he physically do it? So he does make an appearance in this film. What did you think, Jeremy? I thought
1: it was very well done with the asterisk. I'm not ripping on his performance. (laughs) Go with me on this. Because I did not know that was his predicament. So I thought they were like, well, he's aged more than Tom Cruise has, so I thought they were fixing that with this type of character. Like, okay, they're gonna he's gonna wear an ascot or a scarf, and he's gonna be, you know, like in a chair, and he can only text, and you know, you know that kind of. Thing. I thought they, they were kind of covering up the fact that he's actually younger, but then he looks older and all. So that's how I thought it was. until we got home, and then. Mm-hmm. We realized that, oh, he's really a cancer survivor because he's cancer free now, I guess, which is good, yeah. good, good for him, uh, you know, and 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 that may explain why he looks older. and all. This. So all that being said is I thought it was a, I thought it was really great how they handled it. But I thought it was a character choice. I see. <laughs> Until I got home and did the research, and realized that, oh, they did that because it was real, yeah. in which case I firmly applaud how they handled it in the film. And I'm glad that he got to be
0: a part of the film. There's a documentary on Amazon Prime, I'm pretty sure. It's called Val, and it's, uh, it's about his predicament. It goes through his whole acting career, but his current situation as well, which is why I knew about that. And to tell you the truth, the most emotional part of the movie was not something they wrote in the script, but it was knowing what Val Kilmer had gone through And that he has suffered so much, and it's taken a toll on him, Mm -hmm. that for him to be included in the way that film made him a part of the movie, my heart smiled. Having the text messages, so they're making him a bigger part of the
2: film without him having to actually have screen time. Correct. Making sure to keep his character as an important role without having to put so much pressure on him having to be on screen so much. But through the text message between Ice and Maverick, really appreciated that because it helps you connect with it. And then when – spoilers, because obviously – Passes away even pulls at their heart even more too. They had one more Whoa. opportunity to see each other and speak of what was important before the mission starts. And when Iceman passes,
1: might have been the best part of the film for me. Actually, was that the embrace of the two characters? Him being like, you know, who's who's the best? Right. And he's like, let's not get yep. into this right now or yeah. whatever. It is. That was <laughs> let's not ruin it. That was awesome. It was it's great. a
2: touch of nostalgia too. That was perfectly fitting because it described their relationship
1: still. Yes, and, and it was foreshadowed to... by the beginning of the movie when yeah. he sh- when they they show the photo of the two yeah. of them. Absolutely. At the end of the original yeah. movie.
2: Okay, yeah. so this is one because the actor has obviously has some controversy behind him. He's been divisive and everything too. But Miles Teller as yep. Rooster, the son of Goose, as well. So I'll give my thoughts first uh, on this before I get to you guys because I, I kind of had a, a breakdown of things I wanted to hear from you guys as well too because I I think like the movie, my rating is probably going to be higher than both of you more than anything else in terms of that, but. I thought he portrayed the son of Goose quite well in terms of mannerisms, his attitude, the look on his face, what they were able to do with the mustache and everything as well. Obviously, you had your callback to Great Balls of Fire, right. as well too. But there, there, I think overall, I think Miles Teller's growing on me as an actor. But I think just his portrayal overall of trying to envision of what Goose's son could act like, while also dealing with the, mm-hmm. the, the tension that Maverick pulled his papers, things of that sort. I think overall he played the part very well in terms of trying to think what Goose's son could be like with personality, attitude, um, mannerisms as well, too. I think he actually did a pretty
0: darn good job at that. Miles Teller won me over. Yeah. I, I, I got to tell you, in the beginning of his appearance in the film, I wasn't sure. But uh, it didn't take long for me to buy into him because I think he did a pretty good job. I'll just
1: say that I have no idea what you're talking about as far as controversy goes. And I thought he uh, he, he was the star of the show for me. I mean, obviously, there's Tom Cruise. Okay, you're not going to write sure. Tom Cruise, but uh, but as a supporting cast member, oh sure, he was the shining star for me because I believed where I as, so much that I had to look it up later. I believed he was actually the son of the original actor
0: <laughs> of Anthony Edwards. Yes, so it was uh,
1: it, it it was it was great. It was uh, it was all around great. His character arc was was good. They yes. they did explain the pulling the papers and, and delaying his career and all this. And mm-hmm. he have, why, why, he why he'd that. have mm-hmm. resentment, why he did that. His mom was actually, actually asked Maverick, but he wouldn't tell him that because, you know, Rooster that he because it, he's like, why resent her too? So it was, that part was crafted wonderfully and he was really great at his part. And hangman has a punchable face. exactly really and
0: and I got ahead this one thing they did better than the first one uh, the emotional baggage part of the original Top Gun was Maverick and his father and which I thought was a really lame it was flimsy very flimsy yes this one uh, where you have this baggage and this you know uh, tension between you know Maverick and, and Goose's son uh It became a much better, well fleshed out story than anything in the original even touched. Because the kid just doesn't know. Like
2: Maverick's trying to protect him. Like the kid just doesn't know what I have had to go through to protect him, or to protect his feelings for his mother. So there's that tension right there. Like because we know as the audience, Maverick knows, but Rooster has no idea what Maverick's been dealing with,
1: in, in terms of all that drama. So yeah. But then there's another philosophical question there. The character is probably thinking, even if there are other reasons why, what right do you have to choose for me? That's my choice to make, right? And so you have their back as
2: well. Make a great point. There's there's two things I wanted to get your opinions on before whatever I wanted to cover because it just was <laughs> driving so much here. But I in my my rev- first review, the spoiler free review, I said I had eye roll moment. And people, I've gotten so many messages And what was it? Or was it this? Two people trying to guess. No one has guessed it yet, uh, which is interesting to me. But I'm sure Gover will probably agree with me on this. Sort of Like, okay, come on. And, Jim, I know we <laughs> talked about it as well. God, I can't wait for this. Well, the eye roll moment that I had was like, okay, come on. This is a typical action movie thing. Was when all of a sudden they're stranded because they both crashed. Both Rooster and Maverick crashed. Yes. And now they, they come up to the airfield where all these smart bombs just somehow missed the one F-14 hangar and the taxiway. (laughs) Somehow, everything else was damaged beyond belief. It reminded me a little bit of Fast and Furious, where it almost takes you out of the realism. Almost. You, you know it it's takes an, oh come on, moment. it's an, oh come on. It takes you out of the realism of like Fast and Furious. We're like we're going to take a car to space, <laughs> and they did. But, but it's like these they're they're running. The enemy's right there. Whoever the enemy is, the unnamed <laughs> the enemy. unnamed enemy. Like is. let's just run. I found it comedic. Like it's it was fine in the comedic area of they're stealing this and they they get it going. They're getting chased. Things like that, and then. Miles Teller just talking about it being so ancient and everything. I thought the jokes were funny because, really, can you imagine getting into a plane that's not been flown probably in 30 years or even existed in 30 years, right? But that was my eye-roll moment of, okay, come on. But they worked with it. It was an action movie. I gave it a pass because of the action sequences that followed it. But that really was the, okay, come on, guys, moment for me. (laughs) I will say
1: that I didn't eye-roll at that scene, but I, but I, I, I will now. (laughs) <laughs> uh, but uh, I didn't eye roll that scene because I had so many other eye roll moments. But I, what's it's funny you bring that scene up as far as the runway goes because that's when I thought it sounded like the most like Star Wars, was what Jimmy said earlier. Mm-hmm. When they're trying to pull up at that last second before they hit that mm-hmm. what that barrier or whatever, yep. it yeah. looks so much like the first Death Star to me,
0: absolutely. And that was the oh, first man. thing I thought of. And you know. Han Solo comes in in the Millennium Falcon yes, to save the day, and later, you know, after yes. the, Act he, Three the is
2: Star Wars. <laughs> what else you got, Justin? Bradford? Okay, last thing was music. Obviously, I have oh. to bring it up.
0: What, why?
1: Go ahead. What? What? Why? Was, I'm, I'm rolling my eyes because I should have saw that coming. Why has to be like that? <laughs> You're like one more thing, music. I'm like, oh, crime. Of course. Okay,
2: we've already music's already been mentioned before because of the '80s hits yeah. and everything, Kenny Loggins, yes. all this stuff, right? Yes. But the theme. Especially when you're in a large format where there's so many speakers, like an IMAX or a Dolby or something, where you feel as soon as it's hitting the chime, when the Top Gun themes come in, the bong, and it shakes you. For me, it's like, <laughs> like it was a little giggle. There's a little chill. Because you feel that as well, too, because it is setting the mood for it. But obviously you have Harold Faltermeyer and Hans Zimmer going together, and Zimmer's one of my favorites. And he just knows how to do movie scores. I'm wearing the shirt that says William Zimmer... Elfman, Jacchino and Silvestri right right now. And
1: Faltemeyer was tremendous oh yeah in bringing that 80s flavor to the yes. music. Yes. Absolutely. And I did love that part of it. Uh in the sense that I thought it was a good callback. Right. Yeah. That's oh, a yeah. that is a subtle way yes. to harken back to the predecessor without yes. being predictable and corny. And then and on ridiculous. top of that It's big that they got Lady Gaga for her her to get a
2: soundtrack-slash-score credit as well. She's part of the score development, too, not just the soundtrack overall. So just having her associated with it just puts it on that mega standard of blockbuster. Whether you like it or not still shows the blockbuster aspect of of having her associated. Because back then in the 80s, having Kenny Loggins associated with something... Was huge. Sure. So it's the same aspect here of having
0: Lady Gaga associated with it, too. And you're not level. just relying on the artists that were on the original soundtrack. Exactly. So you're taking you it that. to a different level. All right. So let's close this out. What are our scores? Jimmy, you want to go first? Sure. I'm going to give this a seven. Okay. Uh, because it delivers on the summer blockbuster promises that it uh, you know needed to do. Uh, it's still really not. I'm generous at seven. Uh, it's a it's a still shallow, hokey, posing movie, but I had a good time. So that's I'm very fair. It a seven.
2: Justin. Oh, you want me to go before yeah. you? I'm giving it an eight point five. Because it's a blockbuster. It gave me what I wanted out of the movie. It met and actually exceeded my expectations for an action film as a follow-up for the original Top Gun. It was a fun movie. I appreciated the, the flying scenes and the work they put into that. So I'm appreciating the work they put into it. Tom Cruise obviously put money behind this to make sure people were trained and to make it seem as real as possible. Seeing other people talk about it that were in the Navy that did fly these jets saying that it felt real. is was one of the most realistic mm-hmm. style of, of flight movies out there. Makes me appreciate it that much more. So it did his job as a summer blockbuster, especially in a large format, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to watch it more and more and more, and that's what makes me give it that rating.
1: Okay, I think it's very a very good. average story, very vanilla story. I just talked about sure for the last half hour about how I, I kind of like come up can almost half the scrap. Yeah, so that's what I do best. So I give it a six point five because it was an, it was average story wise, yep. but I thought the performances were great. Like the acting, there was never a point. The, there was never a point where I was looking at the acting and being like, oh, "This is terrible." And and the credits being the same font, all those kinds of things that really kind of brought it back to the original without being too cheesy about it. But it lost me on the cheese factor. There was too many scenes that were exactly like the original. There were too many fan service slash cheesy moments the point where they weren't done clever enough in my opinion so i still enjoyed it i'm glad i saw it on the big screen i'll probably take my son to see it before it's out of the theater because i think he'd really enjoy it because he's not the same critical you know as i am yep so i give it a six and a half we're across the board here yeah i like this we're not across the board you give it an eight and a half.
2: Six to eight and a half is pretty across the board for movie ratings that's across the board because there's not going to be many that we're going to actually discuss. It's going to be like a three.
0: <laughs> I can't Sheesh. wait till one of us gives a nine and the other gives a three. I want a separation of six points. It ha- it's going to
2: happen sometime. Just wait. It is.
0: All right. This episode's question comes from
1: Justin Bradford. Oh, it raises me a music question, isn't it?
2: Duh. Oh, <laughs> we saw what? this coming. Come on. I mean, y'all will get to understand that I love movie music, TV music as well, but especially movie music. So I wanted to pose the question to both of you to get you kind of rolling in with your film chops, but also what really contributes so much to making a great
1: film. you going to keep grumbling over there, look, Mr. Guppy uh, Gumperson? Of all the mu- uh, m- music, of all the movie questions, Right. Of all, every <laughs> facet of a film, I would say that I know the least about music. And that's why I'm,
0: and that's grumpy, why I'm looking forward to this question <laughs> most because it's making Jeremy uncomfortable.
2: Well, I'm glad you said know the least about, not that you don't care. Because, oh, I definitely care. Right. Because everyone, I think everyone, obviously, if we're doing this, we appreciate what music, <laughs> the role that music plays yes. in a film and everything. I, I agree it's with here.
1: that. So, I just and very, very, uh, what do they call it? Jimmy? Uh Fresh, no, 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 noob. no, being, no, uh, no,
0: self aware,
1: <laughs> <laughs> self conscious, I think is what I was going for. But you self aware works okay, go ahead, Justin. I'm sorry,
2: I think you know more than you give yourself credit for just given your background. God, I hope so. Well, that's what I,
1: yeah, well, that's fine. Yeah. all right. Does Dr. Dre composed a movie because I know about that
2: M- movie score, yeah. That Anyways, say, that proves my point. Go ahead, top three superhero movie scores. Ooh. A movie score, it's almost a genre itself. It is, especially nowadays. I mean, the past two decades have given us so many superhero movies with some major composers
0: being a part of those. And that's
1: going to be, off the top of my head, that's going to be the toughest part because I don't want to just go recent. Right. I'd Uh, like to dig a little deeper here. It's going
0: to be hard to go beyond the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but uh, I'm just going to toss this out there. And I'm, I'm only going to do this because it was used in the movie. I hate inspired by soundtracks. Oh, yeah. Don't, okay. yeah those don't count. Uh, I'm going to throw Guardians of the Galaxy at you because... Soundtrack or score? They are both. Okay. Because okay. the songs are an integral part of the story. Okay.
1: Okay. So that's it, next week's question is the soundtrack. By <laughs> way. It's a different question that's coming.
0: Just so wanted the, to clarify. So the, the, the score does encompass the, the soundtrack of those tapes that are uh, the ones his mother gave him at the beginning of the movie, okay? And that's his last hold of of mom and Earth, okay? But it also, it makes us, like, remember that Earth exists in this Marvel Cinematic Universe that's that we never thought point. about. So it, like, it, it grounds the movie in Earth. So I, that'd be on one of mine. That's okay. a movie score that has both uh, kind of your typical... Cinematic, you know, and <laughs> you know, and a classic 10cc song. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, All right, so I have uh, I was able to jot down three here, okay. Uh, and I he was googling I, on his phone. I, no, well, no, I did not. What but, is a movie score? What, <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy feverishly typing away, yes.
1: So, uh, uh, my first answer is The Dark Knight. You could say the trilogy Ooh. if you'd like, but I do. Sure. No, no, I, I like you keep it separate. But yeah, but I, yeah. Okay. So the Dark Knight, the 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 second film, because, I mean, it's I don't want to say iconic because if I heard the song outside of the film, I probably wouldn't be like, oh, it's Dark Night. But I do. Right. But it's it adds so much to the film, like you were saying earlier, Justin. So like for me, when there's all these heartbeat, like yes. heart racing, dramatic scenes with Batman. They Incorporate this kind of drums, it's it's just really well. It's really Hans great.
2: Zimmer, and Hans Zimmer does a fantastic job of that. And like the, the oh, yeah. drum beats, we hear that you know in Inception sure. with, with Hans Which, Zimmer, and, and so many other things oh, what Dune. he's done with Pirates yeah. and everything and in Dune, Inception yeah. So it's gonna be on my list,
1: but uh, and then a, a <laughs> Superman, uh, it's Christ- iconic Christopher Reeves, the Christopher oh. Reeves Superman, not the new yeah. garbage, yes. uh, because the second you hear it. Outside of the film, you know it's Superman. A John Williams score. Yes, one yours, of his earlier yep. One of his earlier ones, obviously. Okay, but now, iconic. okay, now this is the third one I came up with. You're going to have to tell me if this counts or not. If it doesn't count, I'm going to go back to the drawing board and I'll find a fourth, okay? <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> it's kind of cheating. Okay. The Marvel title sequence. I'll give it to you because it is All iconic right. now. Okay. So it's like, this, as like, soon as it like, hits, like the 20th Century know. Fox, the Star yes. Wars, yes. right? Yes. Like there's a friend of mine, when 20th Century Fox would come up, even like a Simpsons movie, whatever. Sure. They would, my friend would be like, Gonna watch Star
0: Wars. Gonna, gonna watch Star Wars. <laughs> right. We're about to right. watch Star Wars. Y- your your blood pressure goes up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And you're anticipating. Yeah, I mean, I get psyched for the My- Marvel opening credits music.
2: It's a great point, Jim. And and go over like what you're saying. I, I like the curveball. That you throw there because now when you're going to marvel movies and it does include that marvel opening theme people you know people are ready you hear the applause yes. you hear the murmurs of sure. oh, i'm so excited because it does set the scene of what you're about to experience and seeing a marvel film nowadays especially is an experience that you're typically wanting to share with the community Except so the, hearing that the <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm
2: jeremy gover and i didn't get it so i hated it uh, most of the world. here we go <laughs> jeremy Nobody liked that movie.
0: My well, son, I mean, apparently. Okay, but I'd like to hear more Defender of than I didn't get it. For okay. why this it is didn't.
1: another show! Okay. This is another show! All right, oh, okay, on. okay.
0: So, so Justin, yeah. you, your question, top three superhero yes. movie scores, what's at the top of yours? Okay, so, as Govro make fun of me, though, I don't have a number
2: one. Overall, i have okay. my three. Oh, they can be any random Yeah, one. my yeah, top three. Of course. Black Panther.
1: Great one. I
2: would <laughs> put that on there instantly. Ludvig Gorenson. It's fantastic, I and what's going to be great, the too, composers. the National Symphony is going to perform it in concert next season, which is just awesome. Wonderful. just It's so unique because of the instrumentation using just African instruments. Um, for those of you that are familiar with so many of the, diff- of the nerddom, the Mandalorian, also composed Ooh. by oh, Ludwig yes. yeah. Yep. You can hear the similarities. As soon as I say it, you're like, oh, yeah. you start recognizing yeah. the bits and pieces of that. So that, that is my first one.
0: Yeah, and it's great because you can instantly tell the difference between Black Panther and all of the others. Yes. It's, it, it is like alone on its island in its
2: uniqueness. I love that. It is. So uh, okay. my next one is 1989 Batman,
1: Danny Elfman. I thought about that one for a split second, but it ch- I changed my mind when you clarified soundtrack versus score. Soundtrack? I mean, prints. Because di- right. Sure. Because Danny Elfman, of course, I mean, tremendous. Okay? Oh, yeah. But- I, I had that one. Um, that was the first one I thought of until we clarified. Because to me, I identify the music, even though I know this is not the same question, as a Prince. A that prince. will Sound be thing. another
0: show. I know. So because I think of like <laughs> bat, Jeremy and Justin I, are giving each other the business. Theory. I mean, are, are you are we new? Because <laughs> uh, you know, I
1: think of Bat Dance, I think of Trust. I think like right. I think of all those great yes. songs for. So I don't. Typically think about the right. score. Even you know, of course there is, but now
2: next time you go watch it, you're really like, oh, oh that's sure. a good iconic sure. Batman type of, especially for right. that day and age, an yeah. iconic type of Batman score. Dark Knight's great, obviously, it's not in my top. But 100% agree. It's, it's difficult to pick a top three.
0: It, <laughs> it is. It, very, it, it is. is. It, and remember, this is just an exhibition of things that come to our head, not yeah, a competition. It's ours, yeah. Please, no wagering. Yeah. Jim, what, what <laughs> about you?
2: You've only named one so far. What else do you have? Uh,
0: I, or, I, I was already thinking Black Panther. So okay. we're just gonna, we're, we agree on that one. Uh, this is the one that I think you guys are going to probably roast me on. Because uh, I don't know why this just occurred to me. <laughs> Porkies. <laughs> Superhero movie, huh? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Flash Gordon. Okay. Okay. Ridiculous. All right. Outside the box. Over the top, silly. <laughs> I mean, the silliest song Queen has ever recorded is the theme to Flash Gordon. Oh. And it's just so, I mean, it matches the over the top, uh, I don't know, it kitsch factor that we have now looking back on it but that movie was just so outlandish I feel so young right now by the way it, uh, well, yeah. you are the
2: youngest one in it, here it, I know and I love. feel so young
0: it, the whole world was in black and white when I went to go see that movie <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean those moving pictures <laughs> they, were, they were called the that talkies movie. exactly so I mean that's like just a really silly thing but I'm going to say it's great because it's iconic for all the most ironic reasons
2: no, I totally
0: get that. Okay. Uh, Justin, give us another one.
2: Okay, I'll wrap mine up. My honorable mention was Superman, by the way, because really? it's so iconic. John wow. Williams. I
0: feel, I feel
2: validated. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, when you think about movie scores for superhero films, Superman in that day, and it, there weren't superhero movies that were iconic because there are bad
1: yes <laughs> you, right.
2: you look at you look at so many things from the 70s and 80s of superhero things trying to you couldn't just couldn't accomplish it in film throwaways. yeah they're throwaways so having a john williams produced score for superman adds so much to that plus the performance from christopher reeve so yes. that right there helps make it iconic as a movie score given how superhero movies really didn't start catching wind until the 90s right and everything too so that's honorable mention for me
0: and the beginning of i think superhero movies getting The production quality that uh, maybe people would say a better movie would have, you got John Williams. Right. You know, you're not getting some guy who's going on a synthesizer just going (laughs) to, you know, just track this thing. We're going to get it in theaters. We're taking this seriously in not a super serious movie, but we're giving it enough of a budget for you to do something, you know, worthwhile. And arguably
2: the most recognizable superhero in the world. Mm-hmm. When you think about, it, especially then, yeah. Superman just Superman. worldwide, you re- people recognize the S. Batman, similar way, worldwide, what people recognize in yep. terms of popularity. So, finally, it's another Danny Elfman one for me. It'd be Spider-Man.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. Spider-Man one. Yep, Toby Maguire. Toby Maguire,
2: Spider-Man. Sam Raimi. Okay, and it's just. Sam Raimi and Danny Elfman work so well together in terms of the, what they do with their scores. Yes. So obviously, if, if you all have seen Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, Danny Elfman, yep. Sam Raimi. Again, you s- you feel those bits and pieces of it. And that's why there are certain parts of Doctor Strange that felt very early 2000s because it reminded me of Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the Sam Raimi Spider-Mans. And it was just a really well done in terms of that because that signified a new era of superhero films. And then very quickly... Right after that, the Dark Knight series instituted a whole another era, the Dark Era. So you had two quick eras of superhero movies in a matter of five years right. that changed the way things were done. Because, obviously, a, a Danny Elfman score I don't think would have worked with the Dark Knight one like a Hans Zimmer one does. Because <laughs> right. the way that they compose. And I'm going down a rabbit hole. But, Gover, you had something to say?
1: Well, I was just going to say, is that actually a good thing that you were reminded yes. of Sam Raimi and his, his films by the score? Because oh, yeah. I would argue that it's not different enough. No, no, no. Because the composers have certain feels. Like you, for the classical
2: music, you can tell Beethoven. You you can tell when it's going to be a, a, when it's a Beethoven piece. They just have their certain feels of it. For instance, right. I'll throw this out there as well. And we're turning this into a great discussion, guys. By the way, <laughs> you see Castaway. You've seen Castaway, and yep. then you go and you look at almost a bunch of different Marvel films, but especially like Avengers: Endgame. Okay. If you watch those two back to back, it is both Alan Silvestri that composed those. So this is Castaway, you know, mid 2000s, l- yep. late, to- l- late, early 2000s. Early 2000s, yeah. Late aughts. They, they,
0: yeah, they <laughs> reference uh, Titans almost <laughs> winning the Super Bowl.
2: Yes. So
1: <laughs> <laughs> great milestone. <Yeah.
2: laughs> you, you have that there. There are certain progressions in what Silvestri is writing in Castaway that are so extremely similar, but it just changes the direction of the cadence for the, right. for the end of that as well. And you, you see that a lot too when in terms of Michael Giacchino and some of the stuff that he's done. he's He did the Star Trek reboots right. that happened. So it's okay for there to be similarities. John Williams, if you watch a bunch of John Williams movies, and they don't have to be similar, if you watch Home Alone, Hook, and then Star Wars, Indiana Jones together you're going to hear similarities, how oh, they yeah. compose. Just like for sure. any musical artist, right? There's certain similarities typically in Absolutely. their music, and you're just going to recognize how it's And it's, it's produced. whether
0: you like them or not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you like, you know, oh my God, U2 sound, all their songs sound exactly the same for 30 years. But <laughs> if you love U2, that's why you listen to it's U2. A U2 for sound, yep. It's a winning formula. that right? sound. It's a winning formula. So if, if you love it, then, then it's great. You know, if, if
2: you hate it, then it's torture. And that's my opinion. I mean, it's your, your opinion, Jim. I mean, everybody has their opinions on right? what they appreciate and like. And if they find that formula, like what Gover said, it's, that's what's going to win. <laughs>
1: so, uh, Justin Bradford's question of top three superhero movie
0: scores, did we get everybody's in?
1: Give me your top three superhero movie scores, according to you, in the comments. <laughs>
0: This is the Untitled Film Project podcast. We've been talking Top Gun Maverick, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. How were we so wrong on something, or what about (laughs) it that we didn't talk about that you feel we should have? That's where you need to tell us. Yeah, on social media, Untitled Film Project, everywhere.
2: Uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You can watch yeah, right. We're not going to have necessarily video up there yet, but it's going to come. So wherever you want to consume your podcast, Spotify, wherever, Jim, where else can they find this podcast? Everywhere you pod. Everywhere. <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> so it's automatically going to be there for your commute into work, for your commute home from work, for your lunch break, for when you just don't give up <clears throat> about work.
0: You can listen to us. <laughs> you can rate us, too. Oh, Just please. like we rate movies. <laughs> oh, no pressure. Please be more generous. <laughs>